Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK and Chamatkar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And I'm not going to lie to you, Sandu. I'm knackered. I'm absolutely knackered. We had a crazy, crazy run of events this past week. From Thursday through till Sunday morning, I covered six events in four days. Um, and I know that thankfully this isn't at the moment a video podcast. But if it was, we'd need all the filters that the internet has ever invented in order to make me look human. Because I'm a tired man. Well, look, you know, Cage Warriors events, Bellator events, UFC events, it, it all came thick and fast this past weekend. And kudos to you for putting in the shift and, and you know, for all the various outlets to kind of get it all covered. But man, I'm not going to say I'm as tired as you. Uh, I've definitely felt fresher on, on a Monday talking to you. But um, all in all, can't complain. We're, we're very lucky to do what we do. And I guess uh, we're still basking in the glory of what was a fantastic weekend of fights, especially the two title fights in, in the UFC pay-per-view. Yeah, it was it was great. And, you know, as as we often say on this show, you know, it, we are... We are very fortunate in that the business in which we work is still operating within this whole pandemic. And I was just on the school run yesterday. Actually, one of the one of the other parents asked asked how things were going, and I said, "Yeah, it was pretty busy at the weekend, um, and uh, been doing like thirteen, fourteen hour days or more." And he's like, "At least it's work, though, right?" I'm like, "Yeah, it definitely beats it definitely beats sitting around wondering where the next paycheck's coming from." So. It's great. I mean, we've got UFC up and running. They're back at Fight Island, and uh, they served up two title fights that 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 produced plenty of headlines. I mean, Israel Adesanya against Paulo Costa was the main event for the middleweight title. Let's just start right there, Sandu. I mean, going into that fight, the whole narrative had been kind of this bad blood between the pair, and then as we spoke about leading in. There's a bit of a question mark over it. But then when fight night happened, it seemed to me like the bad blood was back and it seemed to go on after the fight as well. So, but talking about the fight itself, it was a complete mismatch as it turned out. I mean, you know, Paolo Costa unbeaten, this big hulking monster going in there, having having pretty much run through everybody, finished everybody except for Yoel Romero, uh, having joined the UFC. Adesanya just toyed with him and and picked him apart like a like a, a lion playing playing with his food it was it was it was remarkable to see and it was a, after the the lackluster performance we saw from him against Yoel Romero this was the Israel Adesanya that we wanted to see looking sharp on his on his game and at his best i thought it was an outstanding performance yeah i'd go as far as to say it was a masterclass performance it was so one-sided and I was I had I had picked Izzy to win, but I didn't think it would be as one sided as it was. Now Paolo Costa today has come out with a with a plethora of social media posts on Instagram, you know, which ranges from not making excuses to something happened prior to the fight, to his reaction to how Israel Adesanya reacted post fight, to kind of saying I'm gonna you know fight for the gold one day that's still my goal and, and I want an immediate rematch and all the rest of it and I just don't know how he's gonna get an immediate rematch first of all after that performance no chance in hell that's happening anytime soon you're gonna have to kind of check off a few top contenders and kind of build yourself up again because 
everyone was expecting him to go forward, you know, put the pressure on Izzy, throw those bombs. And it was, it was almost a case of a, a him not doing that, but also Izzy again, just so quick, so good. He's a ring general. He's got over a hundred combat sports, uh, you know, you know, you know, fights under his belt. That was his hundredth win in combat sports in general. When you kind of combine his boxing, kickboxing, and MMA record, he's now twenty and zero in MMA, undefeated. He looks better and better every time he's out there. With the Yoel Romero performance, perhaps being the the only asterisk there, especially in his UFC run. And I have to say, I think it's not the fight of the year. This might go down as the twenty twenty performance of the year. If you take into consideration it's a pay-per-view for a UFC middleweight championship, your opponent was undefeated, so you gave him his very first L. You haven't got a, a scratch or a mark on you, completely flawless. And so, again, we've got a couple of months still to go. Let's see how the year pans out. But I think for the time being, and you know, perhaps this is just you know recency bias kicking in a little bit, and I'll have to do some digging around to kind of go back through the archives of what we have on our um, plate for 2020. But right now, I think that's probably the performance of the year, just given the stakes, what was coming in to this fight and what we got on the uh, on the other side, the output from this fight. Fantastic performance by Israel Adesanya. Um, and he's back. He's back in a big way. And I think anyone that perhaps had a bit of a, a bitter taste in their mouth from the Romero fight are now back on board the Israel Adesanya style bender hype train. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, take a listen to this. This is his UFC resume to date. Rob Wilkinson, Marvin Vittori, Brad Tavares, Derek Brunson, Anderson Silva, Kelvin Gastelum, Robert Whittaker, Yoel Romero, and Paolo Costa. And you could argue of those fighters, only Marvin Vittori really gave him any problems. I mean, I guess you could say Romero kind of scrambled his senses a little bit in terms of how he how he went out and 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 uh, set his stall out in the fight, which was just plain confusing. But performances wise, Vittori is really the only guy who's gone in there and given it to him inside the octagon, and and he he was the guy who came closest to beating him. It was a split decision, but he's looked outstanding, and he he's, he he's I, I don't know whether it's because. He seems to. There's something about him. He just seems to evolve a, 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 a significant amount every time you see him fight. He like the you know the uh, the Adesanya we saw against Paulo Costa was significantly better than the Yoel Romero that fought Brad Tavares, for example, at the tough finale, which which I was at a couple of years back. And that's not you know two years isn't a huge amount of time, but. He has evolved so much in that time and he just looks so comfortable in there. And, you know, he was kind of a a very confident, slightly cocky contender back then. Very confident in himself. Now he's the champ. He knows he's the champ. He's getting the the, uh, the endorsement deals from Puma and the like. And But he's delivering the performances inside the cage. And you see the way that he goes in there and performs... He's got to be right up there for me in, in the pound for pound list. He's got to be now. I mean, he's going through people and he's putting them away. Uh, I think the Romero fight will be, as you say, a little asterisk on the uh, on on the record where things didn't go well. A bit like when you look back at Anderson Silva's career when he was in his peak 
and there was that Damian Meyer fight that was just an awful fight. But then there's all those other incredible performances. I think when we look, when we look back on Adesanya's career, it'll be a similar case with the Uar Romero fight. But yeah, amazing performance against Paolo Costa, who, if he'd have gone in there and employed the game plan that we thought he was going to serve up, it would have been a much more interesting fight to watch because I think it would have given Adesanya something to, to deal with. And I thought that's what he was going to do. I thought he was going to go in there and just walk him down. And he didn't. I don't know whether he froze I don't know whether it was his game plan to stand off him and throw him off his game because he saw what Romero did. But whatever it did, it, it didn't really achieve anything. And then he got picked apart. You could see him getting frustrated in there because he just get he was getting that lead leg absolutely tenderized by those leg kicks. And then it was like, I can't stand out here all this time and just get my leg kicked off. I am going to have to sort of break that distance and move in. But of course, at that point, it was easy for, for Adesanya because he didn't have the same explosion and he knew it was coming. And then as he came in, he started just basically picking him off on the way in. And it, outstanding performance. One of his best in the UFC. I think obviously the Kelvin Gastelum fight is the best fight. The way he beat Robert Whittaker, I think is still right up there. The Derek Brunson fight was outstanding. But you got to put the Paolo Costa fight in in the group. I think it was a, a really, really good performance. And he says he wants to fight, or he hopes to fight, Jared Cannonier next. Cannonier is going to face Robert Whittaker. Um, the winner of that would be the logical next guy. Um, Cannonier is an interesting one because his name has only really been inserted into this title conversation by Adesanya. Adesanya's kind of made this happen. Cannonier, no mistake about it, his wins have moved him up the ladder. But... I kind of put him in the same bracket as Leon Edwards insofar as he's good. He's very good. He's going to be really hard to beat. But he doesn't have that cachet that some of the other names in the division have got. And as and he's not a big talker. So that then means that he's a tricky guy for people to, to go in there and fight because the upside isn't as high as it might be. But he's obviously really dangerous. Adesanya doesn't care about that. He's, he's said Cannonier's name many, many times in interviews. He's given him due respect. And if Cannonier gets past Whitaker, he looks like he's going to get that title shot. But I'll tell you something, Sandu. Darren Till is not out of the reckoning here. I think the time is right for Darren Till to get himself a big fight. Maybe he should fight Paolo Costa next. Maybe that's the fight to go after. Um, or go after Romero. Just go after somebody who's been in there. With, uh, with Adesanya and see if you can replicate or better the job that, that, that Izzy did. Uh, get yourself in that title conversation because once once Israel Adesanya has fought Whitaker or Cannoneer again, it really is a case of, okay, who's next? And Darren could be that guy. Yeah, I agree. I think what you're, what you're talking about here is the ideal dance partner because at the end of the day, yes, these are championships you're fighting for. Yes, UFC has their official rankings, but they tend to only lean on it when it suits them. There's no official, I guess, protocol with, you know, okay, you've got yourself into that number one contender spot. Now you're automatically going to fight for the title. That's just not how it works. I think a fight against Cannonier, and if that's what happens, and if that's what Izzy wants, and if that's what the UFC pull the trigger on, that's Israel deciding all the heavy lifting, promotion-wise. That is essentially 
the all parties involved saying people are going to buy this pay-per-view based on the fact of are you interested in watching Israel Adesanya right whereas with someone like the Paolo Costa say what you will about his performance which wasn't great on Saturday night but he'd done his fair share of the heavy lifting promoting this fight forget about the hard course for a second we're watching it week in week out pay-per-view fight night regardless it doesn't matter right it's everybody else it's the casual fan it's a sports fan who may make plans to watch a particular fight once a month maybe right or once every couple of months and for, for those people that don't follow the sport as closely as we do stuff like hype pieces promotion social content that's what draws them in and so paulo costa did his he did his work on that end so you have to give credit where credit is due in terms of promotion now you can dissect it a bit further whether it was good bad something that you you know got you hooked in or not or whether it was all fake whatever but he done his job Kanane is not going to give you that. Like you said, he's not really a big talker. He's only really come into the, the limelight, the spotlight in the last year, just given his A, run of wins, and B, because Israel Adesanya, the champion, has actually put him over. Now you flip it around a little bit. Now let's say Robert Whittaker wins the fight against Kanane. Okay, well, now Whittaker's just beaten Till and Kanane, two top contenders, and He's been a former champion. He lost to Izzy. That's an, a nice inbuilt storyline for a potential rematch, right? That one sells. And again, Robert Whitaker was never the biggest talker either, right? But at least there's history between him and Izzy, right? That's a sellable fight. People are very much aware of both guys and their rivalry and their past. Now, the other kind of potential option here in that middleweight division is Darren Till. Now, the thing with Darren Till is he needs a win, right? Whoever it's against, it's got to be a top top five, top six guy, but he needs a win. And then after that, it's it's all down to circumstance. He, Darren Till could literally have one win and fight for the title, given the circumstance at that time. Now, he may fight twice. We, know, we just don't know. And win twice and then get a shot, depending on the timeline and all these things. The other way I can see Darren Till slipping in there is, again, like I said just a second ago, circumstance. It's a short notice uh, situation. Maybe it's uh, a Cannoneer or a Robert Whitaker who ends up, you know, booking a fight with uh, Israel in the next six to nine months. Someone falls out. Darren Till says, I'm in. I don't care. I'll fight anybody, anybody, uh, anywhere, anytime, and all the rest of it. Now, the thing with Darren Till is you've got probably the most ideal dance partner. More so than Paolo Costa because him and Izzy have been jabbing at each other for a while. Most of it's been very, very playful. And I think everybody has enjoyed it. You know, it's it's not too serious to the point where there's this kind of really kind of negative, salty, aggressive tone to how they're going at each other. But it's fun. It's entertaining. And I think a lot of people, both in the hardcore community and general sports fans, have actually enjoyed the way they've been going at each other. And I think if they were booked to fight each other, they'll just turn that up to a 10 or 11 and that would be a lot of fun and also competitively i think that would be an interesting fight stylistically as well um the good thing about israel Sanya in the middleweight division is he has some nice options it just depends on what is the most sellable option in terms of pay-per-view because again like i said yes there are rankings yes there are guys that quote unquote deserve a shot but this is a business champions get pay-per-view points you're not here for a long time. You're here for a, a nice time, as the saying goes, or a good time. And it's all about collecting those paychecks. Um, the other option I want to throw into the mix right now, and I don't know if people are going to like this or not, I genuinely feel like there's an opportunity here 
for Israel Adesanya to jump up to light heavyweight right now and fight the current champion Jan Blahovic. And obviously we're going to get to that fight and contest in a second because let me tell you something. I'd be picking Israel to win that fight, number one. Number two, I think if any champion right now wants the, not the easiest, but the um, the safest road to a potential second title, this is that this is that situation right now. They both fought for the same card. They both come out unscathed. It's I think it would be a very favorable matchup for Israel Adesanya. And then it really kind of explodes in terms of future options. Because then if John Jones wants to come back down to light heavyweight, bang. Now you're, gonna, now you're trying to get your belt back from the guy that you've been sparring with verbally over the last couple of years. It's a fight everybody's want, wanted to see for a very, very long time. And Israel could pretty much you know, shove the light heavyweight championship in his face saying, I've got this. I'm the man of light heavyweight right now. I know people don't like to see fighters jump around weight classes too often. And we've been hit over the head with that over the last four or, four or five years or so. But I genuinely feel like that's a, that's a real option in play right now. And it would sell. Be, given how hot Izzy is right now, if the UFC said he's going to fight Jan Blahovic for the light heavyweight championship, and Jan, I love the guy, very competitive, but he is not selling big, big pay-per-view numbers. Let's just be honest about it, right? If you could put in a situation where now you're selling an Israel fighting for a second UFC championship, my God, that would get a lot of people very, very excited. So uh, go back, go, uh, to wrap this up nicely in a bow, options galore for style bender simon the man has options yeah and and with options comes leverage which is good for him so it should mean that he gets paid i need to talk about this 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 uh this, this light heavyweight title fight between israel adesanya and jan blahovic that you've just booked um it's i am going to say something here which will make casual mma fans and i i say the word casual mma fans advisedly it will probably make them turn around and go, this Simon Head guy has no clue what he's talking about. But I'm going to say it anyway. Jan Blahovic is a more dangerous fight for Israel Adesanya than John Jones. I'll tell you for why. Dominic Reyes went five rounds. The polished, slick striker, great cardio, excellent footwork, Dominic Reyes who has dis dismantled people left and right to earn his shot against John Jones, went five rounds with Jones and arguably beat him. He couldn't get out of the second round against Jan Blahovic, who on paper looked the inferior fighter. I think a lot of people picked Dominic Reyes to win. I know I did. I think you did as well. I think on the last week's show, I think we both went with Reyes, if I remember rightly. And it was because we thought that Reyes just brought a little bit more to the table. But what Jan brought was, was that legendary Polish power that he loves to talk about. It's not just a, a fun strap line. He's a savage. He's a monster. And if he hits you, it's like being hit by a heavyweight. And, and Dominic Reyes found that out to his cost on Saturday night. Jan Blachowicz, if he hits Israel Adesanya, Israel Adesanya is going to know about it. And, and you could say, yeah, well, Paolo Costa was a big, powerful, stronger. Yeah, this is true. Jan Blachowicz is not just going to stand there and think about hitting him. Jan, Jan will walk forward and walk him down and attempt to hit him. John Jones isn't likely to knock out Israel Adesanya. Jan Blachowicz might. So I think that is a really dangerous fight for Israel Adesanya. I agree with you that 
on paper, it's one that could be easily booked. I think every the stars are aligned for that. If he did want to make that jump, see if he could grab the 205 belt, then jump back down. I think the options would be there. And if he talked to Dana and said, this is what I want to do, I would imagine they would go for that. Um, because it does a number of things. If they if they think that Izzy's going to win, it opens the door for all manner of different things. Number one, he's still got the, middle, the middleweight belt. So that's all taken care of. But imagine if he won the 205 pound belt. That John Jones fight suddenly becomes very, very feasible. Even more feasible. I mean, Jones even tweeted after the uh, the fight on Saturday night, everyone be all right if I, uh, if, if I go back down and take my belt back. That's just him being in the, in, in, in the narrative. I don't think that's going to happen. Because, like, I don't think... You know, Jones wants big fights. Jones wants paydays. I think Jones has probably had enough of fighting guys where he has to do all of the promoting. That's not something I think he particularly enjoys doing anyway. But he's kind of had to do it, especially in that light heavyweight division during his, his dominant run. So why would he move back down to beat Jan Blachowicz? He's already a, a two-time champion. So, you know, he's not proving anything new. So I think he's going to stay at heavyweight. But if Israel Adesanya had that belt, you bet your life he'll come down and have another go at it. So I understand the thing... Crikey, thanks... Did you hear that? It was a big explosion or a big bang or something else. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's completely thrown me off. Right. <laughs> I don't think they're going to book that fight though, Sandu. I just don't think they're going to do it. I mean, Israel Adesanya in the post-fight press conference almost laboured the point that he's seen a lot of people jump in divisions. He's seen a lot of people chasing money fights. And he wants to... He, he mentioned uh, Anderson Silva... And the amount of title defences he's had at middleweight. And he said he only jumped up to light heavyweight to, to sort of give the fans a show. But his, his career was at middleweight. And that, that seems to be where he wants to take it. So I think he wants to rack up the title defences. So your Jared Cannoneers and rematch Robert Whitaker, maybe Darren Till. You know, I think they're the sort of guys who are more likely... But um, I wouldn't mind seeing him against Jan Blachowicz. I think I think that would be a I think that would be a fascinating fight to watch, and the reason for that is the performance Jan Blachowicz put on on Saturday night. As as we just said, we both picked Dom Reyes to win that fight. I I knew that Jan had the power. I just didn't think Reyes would be allow himself to be static enough to get caught, but he did. Um, absolutely huge win uh, for a guy that we've whose career has kind of followed along out, you know, it sort of overlapped ours a little bit insofar as a lot of his fights have taken place over here in Europe. We've been at a fair few of them. Um, and I think I might even have been at a couple of his that have been in the States. So he's, I've, I've been to a fair few of his fights. He's, he, he's a fun, jovial guy to talk to. Um, and uh, he goes in there and gets the job done. Um, huge performance. I'm, I'm pleased for him on a personal level because he seems like a really nice guy. But to me, that was a big upset on Saturday night. What did you think? Absolutely. I want to say, I think Dominic Reyes didn't turn up. And, and like, I want to put, um, and I want to pay respect to the performance that Jan Blahovic, you know, gave us. But at the same time, something fell off about Reyes. He just didn't pull the trigger. And I think he said as much in his post-fight social media post. Like, that wasn't the Dominic Reyes that fought John Jones. That wasn't even the Dominic Reyes that we've seen on this incredible run in the UFC over the last couple of years. And it, I was floored by the result. I was shocked. I couldn't believe what I was seeing as it was unfolding and playing out. 
But I have to hold my hands up. Like you said, Simon, But both of us picked Dominic Reyes, and I think the vast majority of people were picking Dominic Reyes to win. Jan Blahovic was the underdog coming in here. But man, it, what an incredible story. This guy who was just kind of, you know, I guess just solidified himself as a top 10, top 5 UFC fighter. And in the last 18 months, 19, 20 months or so, has put a run together. And then all of a sudden, the title's vacated. And he just happens to be the right guy at the right time to slot into a situation where he can fight for the title. Uh, because the division needs to move forward. And he's come in and just absolutely demolished Dominic Reyes. He absolutely just, just lit him up on his feet, just sparked him out. And again, it was another one-sided performance. Reyes wasn't in it at all at any point in those two rounds whatsoever. There's a great video doing the rounds on social media at the moment of Jan Blachowicz flying back to Poland and being just greeted by a plethora of media and fans at the airport. It's an incredible sight. And and that's with COVID protocols in, in, in play. Like, and you, you just think, you know, if fans were allowed in attendance, how those two performances would have given us some incredible fan reactions at the event. And then obviously things like, you know, the scene at the airport, how much bigger could that have been for Jan Blachowicz? Only the second champion in the UFC that hails from Poland uh, Joanna Yao and Jacek being the first. Is it, again, talking about social media posts, I think she was doing some broadcast uh, commentary or some analyst work for a, a Polish outlet. And um, her reaction to seeing her fellow countrymen win was, was absolutely fantastic. I, I loved every bit of that. And like you said, he's a nice guy. We've covered his career. We've been to a lot of Jan Blachowicz events uh, where he's been the main event and all the rest of it. Such a nice guy behind the scenes, more than happy to give you all the time in the world. And here's someone that has put his head down, right? Grinded it out, kept going, kept plugging away, kept improving. And he's not just eking out decisions. He's winning these fights decisively within the distance. He's finishing opponents. What more could you ask for? Yes, he's not the most braggadocious, you know, charismatic personality you're going to get in the sport. Yes, he's not going to sell out arenas in the US. He might sell out an arena within minutes in Poland, though. And again, let's see what the world looks like in six months or so, or nine months or so. And if that's something that the UFC would want to do. The UFC doesn't get champions that hail from Europe that often. I think in total, in the history of the UFC, there's only been about seven or eight, right? And so you'd like to think that the European market being so, I guess, important to the promotion, they'd want to parade him around, maybe try and get a fight booked um, with him headlining in Poland. We see the numbers that KSW do. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a male champion in Jan Blachowicz. Man, I don't know what the ceiling is with regards to an isolated market in Poland and what the UFC could potentially do there. Um, and I think he's got some good options now. He's calling for... John Jones <laughs> to come back down and and again John Jones was, was was given a few mixed signals on the night of the fight he kind of said yeah like you said Simon you know do you guys mind if I go back and get my belt then he kind of basically said actually um I've kind of moved on now you enjoy it Jan etc etc uh and if I'm if I'm Jan right now and I'm as confident as he is it's either John Jones coming back or I would try and tempt Israel to come up because Again, just thinking about him being a champion for the very first time, he is now on pay-per-view points, Simon. He is now on pay-per-view points. 
So what is the biggest fight or fights on the table for him to cash out and make as much money as possible while he is the champion? For me, it's John Jones coming back down to 205 or it's Israel Adesanya going up for the first time to 205 in the UFC. Those are the two most sellable fights on the table for him. So let's see how it all plays out. But right now, I'm just very, very happy for Jan Blachowicz. Polish power, fantastic stuff. You love to see it. Yeah, I just, I was just running through his uh, his UFC career. He's had 15 fights in the UFC. I've been at seven of them. Um, so I've seen quite a lot of, uh, of, of Jan over the over the last few years. What's really interesting is, he. Uh, you mentioned KSW. He's a former KSW light heavyweight champion. But um, he had a little run in the UFC where things weren't looking too good for him. He lost four out of five. Um, and things just weren't right. And uh, it coincided with him moving away from his longtime coach. And it all went a little bit Pete Tong for him. He just lost his mojo. Wasn't, wasn't winning fights. Um, they were all on the scorecards. He just wasn't doing enough to get the to get the nod on the judges' scorecards, and then he went back to his he went back to his old coach. I remember we talked to him. Uh, I talked to him in Gdansk in Poland, um, where he kind of he kind of ended that 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 streak uh, with a with a submission of Devin Clark, and he'd gone back to his old coach. I said, you know, what was the secret of your win? He said, this guy over here, and just pointed to his coach. He said, I, I, I've gone back to him. Now you're going to see the real the real legendary Polish power. And then off he went. And he's won eight of his last nine. Um, and uh, most recently, you look at his run. I mean, his last four fights have been knocking out Luke Rockhold, split decision with Jacare Souza, okay. Then he knocked out Corey Anderson and then he TKO'd Dominic Reyes for the belt. So this is a guy who's in, in the form of his life. Um, and uh, the, the Israel Adesanya fight for him makes a lot of sense. I think there are... But he is, he is now the, the light heavyweight champion during a time where there is quite a lot going on in the division. And the obvious fight for him is against the last guy who beat him. Tiago Santos um, is the next highest ranked guy, according to the UFC rankings. Um, he, uh, and he, he got finished by Tiago Santos in the Czech Republic, another fight that I was at, in, in 2019. And... Uh, he was very frustrated after that fight and he was quite keen to get that win back. Well, he's going to have the opportunity potentially because I think that's the fight they're going to book next. Assuming Thiago is fully fit, I think he was, I think he's had a surgery on his knee, I think Thiago Santos. So um, I think he's, he's on, his, on his way back from that and I think he's probably good to go. So maybe end of the year, maybe December, possibly early 2021, um, we could see uh, Jan Blachowicz versus Tiago Santos 2 for all the marbles at 205 but yeah loads of options absolutely loads of options 205 is an interesting division right now you've got Yuri Prohaska moving up you've got Alexander Rakic moving up you've got Glover Teixeira who's been in that division forever and he's still uh, more than capable of handing out an ass kicking to anybody who steps in there with him um, and then you've got the likes of Volkan Ozdemir, who on his day can move up and knock somebody out. Johnny Walker, when he puts it together, can knock people out. And then you've got people like Magomed Ankalaev, who I'm really high on. I think if he gets the right fight bookings over the next 12 months or so, I think people are going to be talking about him as a legit contender for the belt. So there's plenty going on at 205. Um, and if Yang can just hold steady and, and, and maybe get past Thiago Santos, 
that might be the time to look at calling for for Izzy because then you're properly established. You've got that first title defence in. Izzy has maybe gone through another one or two contenders at 185 and it just builds it up even more. I'd like to see him get a, a title defence in first. But um, of course he's going to call out John Jones. His biggest payday, biggest fight. Um, and I think he's 37 years of age, Jan. So he's not going to be around for too long. Um, so uh, yeah, but huge, huge win for the big pole on uh, on Saturday night. Let's quickly run through uh, some of these other results. Brandon Royval, not too many people will have known that much about Brandon Royval six months ago. Now he's in the UFC and he is a threat at 125 pounds. Superb performance to beat Kai Kara France, who a lot of people were very high, high on. Um, he's in with a shout of uh, moving his way. He's probably one or two fights away from a potential title shot at 25. Ketlin Vieira beating Sajara Eubanks. And the one I wanted to talk to you about was Hakeem Dawadu versus Zubaira Tukagov. There was a whole load of stuff going on heading into this fight. Both of them were talking about revenge going in. Um, Tukagov wanted to beat Dawadu because Dawadu had already beaten uh, one of Tukagov's teammates back in World Series of Fighting. Dawadu has trained at SBG in the past and was getting hit up by all the SBG guys saying Zabira is the guy who sucker punched Connor during that uh, melee at UFC 229. You got to go and get that punch back for us. So they both went in there with this weird revenge narrative, and uh, it turned into a pretty decent fight. And 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 Dawadu got the split decision win, but Zabira came in like four pounds overweight as well. And I've heard behind the scenes that. It, there's a suggestion he didn't even didn't even attempt to finish his weight cut. So, you know, and and even even Adesanya complained about about this because I think one of his teammates Shane Young had the same issue further down the card against Ludovic Klein, who looked incredible by the way, but he weighed in four pounds overweight and then went in there and knocked out Shane Young in just over a minute. But okay, he gave away what was it twenty percent of his salary. But your career's off and running. So, um, what did you make of all of that? And and what's the? How would you go about dealing with the situation where you got fighters who miss weight, and then they they still go in and get the win? It didn't happen for Tukagov, but it did happen for Ludovic Klein. It's it seems it seems almost unfair, but people are accepting the fights, aren't they? So it's kind of a tricky one. Yeah, this, this is uh, a tricky subject to navigate around because I've got a lot of opinions on this and I'm going to share them. <laughs> well, f- first of all, shouts to Izzy for actually making a point to include that in his post-fight interview. This is this is the last thing you hear as the pay-per-view ends. This is how you close the show. It's the post-fight interview of the winner of the main event. So for him to include that and to make a point of uh, weight-cutting issues and uh, percentage of your... Uh, show money and all that, all the rest of it being you know given to the other opponent and that not being high enough as a punishment, I think is just and it's right and good on Izzy for for making a note of that. And we saw a couple of situations here where okay, so Dawadu beats Tukagov via split decision and Tukagov obviously uh, missed weight. But on the flip side, we had someone like Klein who missed weight who knocks out Shane Young, right? Now, had Klein continued to cut weight and make weight, would he have been depleted? Would he, would that have had an impact on his performance? Maybe, maybe not. We'll just never know, right? The other issue with, with regards to the punishment and the percentage and all the rest of it is 
you know, a conversation about show and win money, right? Now, if there wasn't such a thing as show and win money, if there, if it was just a flat fee that everybody was getting, right? Then who knows if Shane Young, who essentially made weight, right, may have said, actually, you know what, I've got my check because I I done my job. I'm gonna just take my my, my money and, and I'm good with it. But because he has to you know fight for the other half, quote unquote, of his paycheck, he's in a situation where he obviously is gonna fight. And I don't, I don't think we've had many situations when an opponent miss, has missed weight, where the other person, the other guy or girl, hasn't actually, um, you know, refused to fight. These are fighters. And on the lower end of the pecking order, they're not making that much money. They're not making championship money. They're not making hundreds of thousands of dollars. We're talking tens of thousands of dollars. And again, they're fighting for the other half of their paycheck. But more to the point, like you said, Simon, 20%, 30% nothing. Because if you win then it's just going to be better for your career moving forward. You know, it's just more momentum. When you win in the UFC, it attracts sponsors. There's other commercial opportunities outside of the sport, right? Especially when it's a pay-per-view with lots of eyeballs like this one. So I guess, I don't know what the, the, the best solution here is. I wish there wasn't such a thing as show and win money, first of all. I wish that fighters weren't put in such a difficult situation where yes they're kind of technically asked the question do you still want to fight but it's kind of like you know you know what you're going to get if dana white's looking at you in the face and asking you do you want to fight and you're a prelim fighter what are you going to say you're not going to say no because then that might you might just shot yourself in the foot for future opportunities right it's such a difficult position for them to be honest i, I would imagine a lot of fighters who would have uh, perhaps thought to themselves i'd rather just take my my paycheck and, and leave thank you very much if that's what the, the the situation was in our sport right so i guess the only other solution i could think of is be a lot more severe with the with the actual percentage of um of the show money it's not even a percentage of the overall um you know i guess com financial compensation that these fighters get it's it's a percentage of half is what it is right so if that's the case i'm with izzy screw it Go for 90%. Go for way more than 20-30%. So at least that way, 90% is pretty much your entire show money. And if you end up winning the fight, you're still going to get more than half your paycheck. Well, then at least your opponent's been compensated a lot more fairly from a financial standpoint. Um, and then the final point on this, I think, is just weight cutting in general. And um, the issue of weight cutting and perhaps... You know, the promotion, having a closer look at fighters, making sure they're in the right weight class, you know, doing what they can to help, monitoring them throughout the week and, and all the rest of it. But again, we're, we're in a situation where there's so many last minute replacement fights at the moment taking place. These fighters are signing to fight either weeks out or days out. And that's we've seen that to be the case in both the Apex and on Fight Island. I know a lot of fighters who aren't currently signed um, for the UFC in Abu Dhabi, hoping that they could perhaps get a call up because they just happen to be on weight and in the vicinity of being able to step up on short notice just so they can sign for the UFC. That is the current state of the landscape of this sport and the UFC as it currently stands in 2020 with COVID. So like I said, a tricky situation and a subject to navigate around, lots to unpack there. But I'm with Izzy and I think I'm with most people where I'm always going to be in the favor of trying to compensate the person that has made weight 
versus their opponent who hasn't made weight. It is such a tough one because if if you look at it purely from a sporting standpoint, purely from a a fairness standpoint, Adesanya is absolutely bang on the money, right? So you need to show like for for a fight. That's why there are weight classes, right? The, for a fight to be fair, you need to turn up on your contracted weight. That you can have four pounds is a lot. It's, you know, we're not talking about just a narrow miss where it's it's marginal. Four pounds is a lot. Um, and but there are so many so many issues with this. To turn around and say, okay, because I think Izzy said make it ninety percent, right? Make it ninety percent. Lose ninety percent of your money if you miss weight. And he said that'll make him stay in the sauna and and try and drop those extra pounds. That's that's not that's not good either, right? If you've got a fighter who, particularly during these sort of COVID times where people are stepping in on days' notice, I mean Ludovic Klein, I think got called up during fight week pretty much. Uh, it's supposed to be Nate Lamware, and he tested positive for COVID, um, and and then uh, and then Klein stepped in on just a matter of days' notice, I think. Um, now. The issue with this is, okay, if someone's got a full run-up and they fail to make weight, I think that is a much, much bigger issue. If you stepped in on short notice and you failed to make weight, then I think, I think there, there are, you know, there are, um, you know, there is a slightly different situation. But the, here's the thing, right? Let's, let's assume that the guys that are missing weight are missing weight honestly and legitimately because they can't cut any more weight okay if that's the, if that's the situation the last thing you want to be doing is putting them in a position where they feel they have to go that extra yard because we know what happens if you push yourself too far when you're already fully fully depleted terrible terrible things can happen either at the time or possibly even during the fight, because you might not be able to rehydrate properly. You know, people don't use IVs to rehydrate anymore, um, which means you've got to rehydrate um, more naturally. And that's much more of a gradual process. You can't just load straight up again, um, which is definitely the more healthy way to do it. But when you're in a combat sport, it's it's tricky, right? So if people are, are getting to their limits of what they can cut, and they think I, I need to I need to I need to feed my family, I need to pay my training partners, I need to do this, I need to do that. I'm gonna lose ninety percent of my not that massive paycheck. That's that I think is potentially a recipe for an absolute disaster. So that's the weird, the weird sort of dichotomy we find ourselves in, right? You've got the side that, yeah, there might be people that are gaming the system here. I don't need to cut the last few pounds. I can lose a few. I can. It's a calculated gamble. I'll lose twenty percent off my show money, but I'm going to win, and therefore I'm going to I'm going to double up. I'm going to be quids in anyway. So it is such a difficult one. It is such a difficult one. Um, and and it it isn't. I, I wish it was as straightforward as saying you miss weight, you don't get paid this. But the minute you put such a such a firm um a firm line down and say this is the rule that's when 
people are going to be pushed to lengths that they shouldn't go that, that, that they shouldn't really push themselves to in order to make sure that they can earn their money so i think i think 90 percent of fighters when they miss weight miss weight honestly um so that's that's the way you got to look at it i think so what's the way around this of course how you know how do we go about this for me i don't think the ufc should really change too much i don't the way the system as it stands now and this is what a lot of people don't understand the system as it stands now is fighter driven so there are some some places you know the commission will say this much this much percentage or whatever but a lot of the time the fighters can say because at the end of the day fighter a who makes weight can turn around and say well i'm not going to fight and then it's a, it's sort of a game of poker at this point, right? So, so if you're Shane Young, for example, right, and you need to be quite ballsy to do this, Ludovic Klein comes in, misses weight by a fair margin, right? And it's his UFC debut. Let's not forget, it's Ludovic Klein's UFC debut. Um, misses weight by four pounds, so he's already not made the great first impression. Shane Young. He's quite within his rights because they're in Abu Dhabi where the UFC self-regulates. There's no commission who has a set of rules that that, that, that dictate this. Shane Young can turn around and say, I want 40% of his money or I want 50% of his money. Actually, I'd probably start with 50 and let him negotiate you down a little bit. But turn around and say, if you want to fight after all of that on your UFC debut, if you want to come in and face me, I've done a whole training camp with this. If you want to face me, you've got to give me 50% of your show money. You think you can beat me? That's not a problem because there's a massive win bonus waiting for you. You can you can get all of that, 50% of your money. Then, you, then you've got a negotiation. You might get it down to 40, 35, whatever. But the 20% thing, because that's what people see, they just assume that that's written in stone. It isn't. The fighters can push for more than this. So I think based on the situation, because there are some situations where you can see that someone has absolutely gone as far as they can and they've missed by half a pound right i think unless you're an absolute arsehole right and you know you're you're you're, you know you're going to be a dick to them you just say okay i'll get you i'll take the 20 percent, which is sort of the the de facto amount right and then off you go and have the fight but if you if you suspect someone's taking the piss ask for more money because you have the power of veto here the the only downside to that as you say sandu is you need to be prepared to go through with it. The thing with any negotiation, and you know this from your job. I know, I know. You know, you've had to negotiate plenty. You know, in your, in your day job in the past, and I've had to negotiate stuff in the past myself. And the biggest weapon you have in any negotiation is the power of walking away from the table, because if the person on the other side of the table knows that you have to do a deal, then they've got you, right? So you've got to be prepared to walk away and. As a, as a as a as a lower mid card fighter, that's a really tough thing to do. So I think what would help in this situation, and this is maybe the one thing that the UFC could do, the UFC could agree that if a fighter can't agree terms with the fighter that misses weight, they have the option of walking away from the fight for an agreed percentage of their show money. Because they've fulfilled their side of the bargain at the end of the day. They've shown up. They've shown up on weight. Okay, they've not gone into the cage on fight night. But they shouldn't also feel 
pressured into getting in there with someone who may have a, a sizable advantage over them. So maybe the UFC might, you know, they, they, they could come up with something, I don't know, where we'll give you 75% of your show money. But if you want to fight, you can fight. If you don't want to fight because you don't think this is legit or you can't come to a deal with the other guy, we understand. You've done your part. If you don't want to fight, 75% of your money will we'll rebook you. If that is something that the... And this is the sort of thing a fighters union could actually make happen. That could be written in as a as a, a collective bargaining thing. This is set in stone. Um, I think that's the only way around it. What do you reckon on that? Yeah, I agree. I agree with everything that you said, Simon. Uh, I just want to see some progress made. I know that this has been a topic that's been discussed by a lot of people in the industry for years now. And I, and I just feel like... MMA being such a young sport uh, globally that we could see a little bit more innovation, uh, a bit more improvement with regards to contracts, regulation. Uh, and there's a lot of people, powerful people from the top down that can try and make this happen. And then you'll see a trickle down effect and a domino effect across the industry on a, glo- on a global scale. Um, and who knows, man? I mean, you know, if we were living in a world where there was a, a fighters association or a fighters union, whatever you want to call it, then perhaps we could see some real action take place, not just on this issue, but a whole host of other issues. It's just the way it's all set up with the fighters being independent contractors and the prelim fight is not really being, you know, what's driving the attention, the money, the ratings, um, the dollars. You know, they're just rank and file members of a roster at the end of the day. As cold as that is to say, that's just the nature of the beast. If you're not interested in fighting, there's a hundred fighters that would jump in in a moment's notice to take your spot. So not a lot of cards to play with there from the fighter's perspective when they're dealing with promotions, unfortunately. Unless you become a champion, unless you um, you make a real name for yourself, and even then, then it's different conversations, different arguments, different things that you want to negotiate. Um, but at least you're talking about, you know, bigger slices of the pie um, that are life-changing, you know, long-term and trying to get more worth for your value at that stage. But yeah, it's tough, man. It's tough. At the, at the lower end, you know, it's it's kind of like um, take it or leave it. 99% of the time, it is take it or leave it. Um, and that's unfortunate, but that's just the way it is. Yeah, it, it, it is a really tough one. I mean, the UFC could just, impl- you know, just enact this themselves um, because it's not taking away, it's adding. So I think it would be, that would be considered a really, a really pro fighter uh, move. It would be something that, that, that I think would actually enhance their reputation. They're not. It's not taking money off someone. It's actually making sure that money, you know, that the money still goes to fighters who have done their job, so to speak. So it's a tough one. I don't know what will happen, um, but slight sideward step. Uh, Cage Warriors had three events this week, and uh, a lot because it was it was three events in three days, and what it meant was. You had teams of fighters taking part because it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You book a few fighters from the same gym because they'll all train together. They can all travel together. They can all stay together. It kind of helps with the bubble, right? The downside to that is if you get a COVID infection in amongst that team, 
you basically scratch the entire team. And we've seen, and we actually saw that in Cage Warriors. The Cage Warriors lost probably six, seven fights, maybe, maybe more, over the course of those three events. Didn't affect the product. The product was excellent, but because of the nature of it uh, and the fact that they needed to be super safe, they they a number of fights got scratched. Um, but what um, Graham Bullen, the president of Cage Warriors, uh, announced on is yesterday. Um, he put it out on social media actually to all the fight all, all the fighters involved in the fights that got cancelled due to COVID testing. He said, "That's not your fault. You turned up ready to compete and did everything asked of you, so you've been paid in full. Uh, and consider your fight rescheduled on the next trilogy series because they're going to do this again. But what what Cage War? Yeah. So, so so what Cage Warriors have done is they said, look, you tested positive for COVID." It's not like you went out and deliberately caught COVID. So you've done everything. You've done your training camp. You've turned up ready to go. And bad luck has meant you can't fight. We are still going to pay you. So I just wanted to highlight that because that's a really, you know, that's 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 an example of, of, of a promotion looking after the fighters. And I think the UFC, I suspect they do quite a bit of this, but they just don't, they don't put it out there necessarily. So, and I don't think it would hurt them to do that every now and again. But, um, but yeah. So I don't know what's going to happen, you know. I I suspect not a lot in terms of the whole the whole uh, weight cutting or the rest of it. It's such a tricky one. It is such a tricky one. Just before we move on from two fifty three, anything else on that card leap out to you, Sandy? Before we move on, I'm not going to lie to you, um, uh, Simon. Uh, I want to find out who is the real owner of the of the title, the nickname, the brand, the logo, Raw Dog, because. We've now got, I think, three people all in contention to try and uh, to claim it. Darren Till, obviously, you know, he's essentially made an entire merchandise line out of it. And I, I think from a social media marketing brand perspective, that's his, that's his gimmick. We then saw Israel Adesanya post-fight in, a, in, a, in what was a, a massive tweet-a-thon, which is still going on right now. He's still going at both Costa and a whole bunch of other people, all the haters and all the rest of it, he kind of said, I'm uh, I'm going to claim this. I own this now, Raw Dog. Obviously referring to his, uh, his post-fight antics, shall we say. And then we've got Brandon Royval, whose nickname is essentially Raw Dog. Um, so, I don't know. That, I thought that was a bit of a, a fun, uh, you know, thing that came out of out of the event this weekend other than that simon i I just have to say i I think the overall look and feel of this first pay-per-view offering from fight island versus the entire first run on on fight island a few months ago was better uh, from a few different perspectives the one that jumped out from for me personally was the media day uh so number one you actually had a, a media day and you could physically see you know, the, the the main event fighters and interact with them if you're a member of the media. You had Dana White in the middle, but it was just a setting that they did it on this um, property where you could literally, the backdrop is just the beach, the ocean. That's nice because then you're getting some sort of setting of the locale. I like that. It's not just generic building, you know, ex- exhibition room A or something, you know, like that. So I thought that was really, really nice. And I'd love to see more of that moving forward. Um, other than that, I, I think it was just you know great to see the UFC back in Abu Dhabi, back on Yaz Island, 
um, and yeah, just just tweak things as we go along. Look, I don't know. I haven't really kept up on on the news in the UK. I don't know if, if COVID tests have been peaking again. This past week, we've started to see a lot of cases rise again here in Canada, right? Um, and we're still quite a, a while away from getting a, a vaccine. This is still a global problem. So with regards to this sport, in, in, in particular to the UFC, this is going to be the state of things for a long time to come. Winter is coming, to take a, throw, uh, to take a line from Game of Thrones, right? And it's only going to get worse, I think, before it gets better. So the fact that they've been able to go back to Fight Island, they know what they can do at the Apex, and they can just fine-tune things as they go along, I think is fantastic. And hey, look, it means we're busy, we're working, we've got something to talk about. The fighters at their very top level um, have an opportunity to defend their titles or fight for titles. And like I said earlier on, a lot of other athletes and fighters are getting an opportunity to jump in at the last minute. Not the healthiest way of getting into the UFC, but hey, um, you take whatever circumstance that will uh, get you under the UFC banner. So overall, I thought it was fun. Uh, we got a lot more content than we have in previous events at, at Fight Island. And I'm, I'm all for it. And I can't wait to see how the next three or four events play out there. Yeah, it's. I have to say, I, I, I remember when they first talked about this whole Fight Island thing and there was this real intrigue over where it would be and what it would be like and all the rest of it. And I know the initial reaction from a lot of people when they said it was Abu Dhabi was like, oh, okay, so Abu Dhabi, fine. But the job that has been done over there to set all of that up is outstanding and it worked so well the first time i can only see it working better this time any little any little wrinkles that they can iron out from their first experience over there i'm sure there have been procedural changes to make things a little bit smoother a little bit easier um and uh yeah they've got another four events uh taking place through the month of october before all the events after that are listed sort of to be determined but i would assume it's a pretty safe bet that they're going to be back at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, which has also been a hugely successful venue for them. They seem to have got that set up nailed as well. So the UFC have got it sorted. Um, very quickly before before we move on to uh, this weekend's UFC event, I'll quickly run you through some of the stuff I've actually been covering this weekend. This weekend was nuts. Um, starting Thursday, um, I covered an event from well, I covered six events in four days. We had Cage Warriors 114 on Thursday night, where um, Luke Shanks defeated Samir Fadeen to capture the flyweight Cage Warriors title. Uh, and Jake Hadley, watch out for Jake Hadley, former EFC flyweight champion. I'm sure he's going to be fighting for the flyweight belt next. He looks like the real deal at 125 pounds. He looks UFC ready now. If I was the UFC, I wouldn't even be waiting to see if he can win the belt. I'd be signing him right now and chucking him straight in. He's good enough. He's good enough to get in there and mix it with with top 15 guys right now. So he's 6-0. and He's still young, but he, he looks the business. He scored a superb win in the co-main event. That was Thursday night. Then they were back at the same arena, the BEC Arena in Manchester, for Cage Warriors 115 on Friday night. Jack Cartwright beat uh, Holland's Gerardo Fanny in the main event to defend his bantamweight title. He looks UFC ready as well, 135 pounds. Um, he's got nine wins. He's 9-0, and oh, and I think all of his wins have been by stoppage. 
and all but one of them have been in the first round. He is a pure finisher and uh, a very exciting fighter to watch. He's good on the ground. He's got heavy hands on the feet. So he's he's uh, he's legit. He's another guy who, if things go well, could be getting a call up to the UFC in the not too distant future. That was Friday night. Then Saturday, things got a little bit busy because I had to deal with three events on Saturday night. We had Cage Warriors, 116. We had Bellator Europe 8 from Milan. And then we had UFC. Cage Warriors, 116. If you've got Fight Pass, go back and watch the main event between Mason Jones and Adam Proctor. Outstanding performance from Mason Jones. He is the Cage Warriors lightweight champion. Um, he stepped up and took on Adam Proctor, who was the clear number one contender for the welterweight belt. Uh, the title was vacated um, because Ross Houston has since gone on to join Bellator. He's going to fight Michael Venom Page on his Bellator debut in Paris. Um, but Mason Jones took on Adam Proctor. He's about three or four inches shorter than Proctor. And uh, he absolutely took him to the cleaners. Unbelievable. What you, you know, we talked about Israel Adesanya's performance being one of the best performances of the year for stylistically very different reasons. But Mason Jones's performance um, was absolutely brilliant. No other word for it. And he challenged Dana White, Sander. You like you love a good call out as much as the next man. He did his post fight interview and he said, I asked uh, Graham Boylan and Ian Dean to give me the biggest, scariest guy um, to fight. And it wasn't good enough. I want the UFC now. Dana, I'm a lightweight fighter. Give me the biggest, scariest 155-pound fighter you got and I will finish him in two rounds. So straight down the barrel of the lens. Absolutely top draw piece of uh, piece of self-promotion. He's 10-0. He's now a champ champ in Cage Warriors, which in terms of this part of the world is one of the main pipelines of talent to get from this part of the world into the UFC. And uh, he would be the latest Welsh addition uh, to that growing contingent on the UFC roster. If he gets his chance, he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Um, if he gets his chance, that was Friday night. Also Paul Hughes, who who looks very, very useful as, as well at featherweight Irish undefeated fighter. Uh, he got the job done in the co-main event. He's one to watch as well. That's cage warriors three and three nights. All great, all great events. Really fun to watch. They're all on Fight Pass. Check them out if you haven't seen them. Then we have Bellator. Uh, they do their usual thing. They stack the card. Huge undercard. Um, some really interesting fights on that undercard. Luke Trainer, look out for him. Um, really interesting character. Lovely guy. Um, he's a nanny by day. He's a professional fighter by night. Earned his uh, Bellator contract with a one-man tournament won the tournament, got his Bellator contract, and he got his debut win on Saturday. He's definitely one to, to check out. He's a good follow on Instagram as well. Um, he does little impromptu cooking videos and stuff. He's a good lad. Um, Alfie Davis versus Akon Wanlis was a decent fight. Alfie Davis, he's like the English Lyoto Machida. He's got that karate-based style. He's a lot of fun to watch. He got a big win. And on the main card, we had three middleweight fights. Will Flurry beating Kent Kalpernan. Mike Shipman from London Shoot Fighters beating Petro Panini. And then in the main event, Costello Van Stinis beating Fabian Edwards, handing Fabian Edwards his first career loss via split decision. I'll be honest, wasn't the most fantastic fight in the world, um, but it was an important fight for both men. And 
I wonder whether the loss might actually help Fabian moving forward. Um, he didn't. He, he seemed like he was looking to counter all the time. I wonder if he could do a push in the pace a little bit more in fights. But he's a very talented guy. He'll bounce back from that. Van Steenis now wants to move on and uh, challenge challenge the best in that middleweight division. Although he won't fight for the belt if Gegard Mousasi has it because they're best mates and training partners. So uh, that was Bellator on Saturday night. Then we had the UFC. And then on Sunday, I was up at silly o'clock in the morning for Rising 24. So just when you think you've seen loads of fights, you then sit up in the morning. It was no English commentary. The whole thing was in Japanese. And as you know, Sandu, I don't speak a word of Japanese. I can't even read. <laughs> I, can't, I can't read it. I can't write it. I don't understand it. But I, I thankfully, I had a bout list. I knew who was who. I recognized a lot of the guys from covering the events in the past. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. There was some, the first fight of the night was an absolute war. Like they'd, they'd been fighting for like four minutes and the cage was, sorry, the ring was already covered in blood. I think I tweeted that it looked like a scene from a slasher movie after the first fight. But no, it was, it was really, really good. And the main event, Kai Asakura, bantamweight champion. He was in a non-title fight, but that lad can hit. That He's got some serious power. Knocked out Kyoji Horiguchi last year. Um, easily. So he's one to watch out for. I hope Bellator go back over when they can and they do Kai Asakura against whoever the bantamweight champion might be at that, at that point. It's Juan Archuleta right now. That would be a huge fight. That would be, I'd love to see that. Archuleta versus Kai Asakura. And that is no gimme for, for, uh, for Juan Archuleta. So maybe we'll see that once this whole COVID cloud has, uh, has, 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 has disappeared and left us. Mad weekend though, Sandu, and we've got a few days, and we've got even more coming up. We've got uh, we've got Bellator coming up, then we've got UFC on Saturday night. Mad weekend and a big weekend of fights coming up this weekend, like you said, Simon. But big story this past weekend, and it had nothing to do with the action in the cage whatsoever. We're talking about the biggest star in the sport in Conor McGregor and one of the maybe top five biggest known people, celebrities, figureheads, whatever you want to call him, of the sport as well in Dana White. And what looks to me to be a real fracture of their relationship, a real first public showcase of a crack between them. And it's clear that right now, as things currently stand, they are not on the same page whatsoever. To try and recap this very quickly, essentially what happened last week on Friday, there was a tweet-a-thon from Conor McGregor, and within those tweets were screenshots of a private DM conversation between himself and Dana White from earlier in the year, essentially talking about potential fights. There was, uh, you know, in, in the conversation, there was the option of uh, a Justin Gaethje fight, a date in LA, Diego Sanchez was basically the name that Connor was after to fight after Cowboy Cerrone. And before everyone starts to lose their cool, I think the way Connor McGregor was kind of looking at his season of 2020 was perhaps Diego Sanchez just could just be another filler fight. You know, it was great for him to make a comeback after a long, 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 long time out against Cowboy, but he was only in there for a mere matter of seconds. So I think from his perspective, he just wanted to kind of keep his tools sharp. He obviously clearly respects Diego Sanchez, who's 
an OG of the game. And, um, you know, much like Cowboy, I guess this would have been a big payday for, for Diego, a uh, big opportunity, biggest fight of his life and all the rest of it. Anyway, so this is now public information. Like those screenshots, you're seeing a private conversation out in the open in terms of how Connor and Dana were talking to each other. So just from one aspect, an aspect analyzing the, the verbiage, the words, just, um, you know, digesting the actual conversation in writing was mind-blowing for me personally because we just haven't seen that before, especially from the biggest star in the sport, Conor McGregor, just outing, you know, the conversation. And um, then at the end of this tweet-a-thon, while everyone's kind of focused on the DM conversation and, oh my God, a Diego Sanchez fight? What the hell is he thinking? He then tweets that he's fighting, or he's boxing rather, Manny Pacquiao in Saudi Arabia. And so all of a sudden, all the attention for that particular day from the combat sports world and the sports world in general, I think, was, wow, Conor McGregor's going to box Manny Pacquiao. There's odds being released. There's content already being created. I think it was like a fake poster uh, or, or maybe it was a legitimate you know, teaser poster that was uh, posted by the MacLife uh, Instagram account. And it's just, just crazy. It's crazy stuff. I mean, from our perspective, we want to see Conor in MMA. We want to see him fight in the octagon. We want to see him fight top contenders. And if a top contender isn't available, let's throw him in there with a Nate Diaz. There's history there. That's a fun fight. Or a Jorge Masvidal. That's a fun fight, right? Um so that, that was bizarre and shocking to know that, wow, we may not see Conor McGregor fight in MMA for a while if he's, in, you know, indeed going to go ahead and if this Manny Pacquiao fight is actually going to happen, a boxing match. Then, Saturday night, post-event, at the press conference, Dana White was asked about this and he did not mince his words. He essentially referred to man code being broken. He referenced what Conor McGregor did with releasing those DM conversations as one of the dirtiest things you can do. Following that, Conor McGregor tweets again to say that essentially you lied. And this is in reference to, or he said, stop lying. And this is in reference to uh, Dana White at one moment in time, essentially saying Conor McGregor didn't want to fight. I believe it was a Justin Gaethje fight at that, at that moment. Um, and so that was kind of Connor sniping back at Dana. And then in addition to that, one of the things that Dana was asked about at the press conference was, did you have any, or do you have any knowledge about Connor boxing Manny Pacquiao? He said he knew nothing about it. Connor McGregor in that tweet on Sunday essentially said, stop lying. Your name's on the legal papers and the contracts and all the rest of it. You know all about this type of thing. So a lot to digest there, Simon, a lot to talk about, but and we could take this conversation in a few different directions with regards to Conor McGregor, his his next fight, whether it's boxing, MMA, opponent, all the rest of it. But for me, th this is a problem. This is a serious issue because the UFC may not need, or, or or even you know, yeah, need is the correct word. They need Conor McGregor. They've got this deal with ESPN, and it's only year two of a seven-year deal. That's the that's like the cash cow. They're good to go, especially during this COVID era. They're just pumping out fights, and everything seems to be performing well. You know, some of the stuff coming out with regards to ratings, how it's performing on ESPN Plus, seems to be you know all positive. 
there's a plethora of other big names and stars. You know, Jorge Masvidal has just broken into the top two, top three of the biggest stars in the sport in terms of being a pay-per-view draw. Um, you've got Israel Adesanya now back firing on all cylinders. You've got the prospect of John Jones going up to heavyweight, which was going to you know draw a lot of attention and eyeballs. You've got Khabib still going to be fighting in about a month from now. He's a massive star. They may not need Conor McGregor, but here's the thing. The UFC and this sport and this business and this industry always does better when Conor is involved, right? It helps elevate the sport to to areas that the sport just can't get to, right? There are legitimate Conor McGregor fans who aren't sports fans, who aren't MMA fans, who aren't UFC fans. They're Conor McGregor fans and they're global, right? And this is unfortunate and I hope they can, behind the scenes, figure this out, patch things up. It blew my mind that they were talking about this on Insta. I mean, our fights and the biggest deals in the sport now getting done on Instagram DMs. Like, can you guys just jump on a Zoom or a phone call or something with your management and lawyers involved and have a group call conversation to hash out the next fight and the next deal? Does it have to be Instagram DMs? Um, so, yeah, a lot to unpack there, Simon. Um, my biggest takeaway, I just find the whole thing very unfortunate. I was shocked to see private DMs being released by Conor McGregor and then the, the domino effect has had with regards to a public back and forth between Dana and Conan via the press conference and social media, it's not a good look for anyone involved. And I don't know if this gets worse before it gets better, whether they can patch things up and maybe uh, a Lorenzo Fatita can get involved and bring everyone together just to piece it out and, and move forward and row in the same direction. I don't know how this is going to play out, but it's it's unfortunate to say the least. Uh, yeah, that's one way of putting it. It was... It was, it was, I was, I was, I was stunned. I was stunned. I mean, like we've seen Connor go public in terms of saying and doing certain things in order to try and exert a little bit of leverage. And I think that's all, that's all to be expected. He's the biggest star in the sport. If he gets himself out there and announces his retirement, like he's done on a couple of occasions, then if if he thinks that that's going to help him, then he's more he's completely within his rights to do that, and I completely understand that. Sharing someone's private messages is not cool. I don't I, I don't unless someone is threatening you. Um, I don't see any need to do that. I don't think it's a good. I don't think it's a good look. It it completely destroys any kind of trust. I mean, you know, Dana's never going to DM him again. Uh, you know, well, if he's got any sense, he won't. Um, because, or when he does, he'll do it knowing full well that if uh, if Connor doesn't like what he hears, it could end up on social media for the world to see again. So, you know, the lines have been very clearly been drawn here. It's interesting looking at some of the reaction to this because the issue of labelling Dana a liar is one that I think is going to really is going to really resonate. I think Dana Dana has been accused of lying on many of many many occasions in the past, right? But he's never really been called out on it so specifically and directly and publicly like, uh, by someone as with 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 the sort of reach and presence that Connor has. And he did it twice. 
in quick succession. So I want to take both cases and argue why they're very different. The first one where he was talking about um, saying that Connor didn't want to fight when you can see from the from from those private DM messages, Connor most certainly did want to fight. I think that's without dispute here. Um, and also it's been pulled up in the past, like even in like the last couple of weeks. And I think Chris Cyborg, who is not exactly top of the Dana White fan club list, um, she even posted it, I think, on social media as a, as a response to this. And it's a list of Google Google uh, curated headlines where Dana White has said fighter X doesn't want to fight. So-and-so doesn't want to fight. So-and-so doesn't want to fight. Won't fight. Doesn't want to fight. Blah, blah, blah. And there's literally like, there's probably like a dozen of them on this screenshot. And fighters want to fight. Let's, let's, let's get that out there. And so saying that someone doesn't want to fight when they want to fight, I don't think that's a you know, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's a good way to go about things. I don't think that's a good way to build a relationship with your fighter. And I know why he's doing it, but I just don't think that that's the way to do it. So that's number one. I disagree with how, how Dana goes about that. However, the other thing, the lying about the Manny Pacquiao thing that he's been accused of, like Dana basically, I think you, I think John Morgan asked him in the press conference, and Dana just sort of threw his hands up almost and said, I have no clue. Which, if if we're to believe Connor, is very much not the case, right? And this is all he said, she said. I actually wrote up the story about, about McGregor's response uh, for MMA Junkie. And I remember, I remember letting one of my colleagues uh, know I was just discussing the story with him. And I said, this is all about he said, she said, isn't, isn't it? You know, it's... It's not groundbreaking journalism, this, but it is it is newsworthy. You know, I don't like writing stories like that, but it's because it's just a bit. This person said this. This person said this. It's not. It doesn't bring anything particularly interesting to the table, but it is newsworthy. So we, you know, we obviously put it out there. But the the thing about accusing Dana of lying over the, over that, I don't have a problem with this. I'll be honest, if you're a fight promoter and someone asks you about a fight that hasn't been booked, hasn't been signed, and you may well be working on it behind the scenes, I think as as a fight promoter, I think you're probably okay. Or, you know, it's not a bad move on occasion to tell the odd porky, right? And, And to say, don't know anything about that, because... The minute you open it up, do you remember what happened where they Dana White mentioned that Dustin Poirier and Tony Ferguson were quotes probably going to fight next, mm-hmm. and it, it's a big fight. It was a big fight. Everyone, it got everyone excited. Everyone in the media was like, "Wow, they're looking to book this fight. This is great." Boom, boom, boom. This fight looks like it's going to happen. This, that, and the other. Then when it didn't happen, there's there was a whole load of fallout over it, and it led to. There were, you know, there was some social media backlash from that. Like Dustin Poirier was accused of not wanting to fight, and I, 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 you know, I've spoken to Dustin Poirier a few times over the years. We've, we've, you know, what the man's like. You see him fight. He's not somebody who doesn't want to fight, right? So when you and and that I think is what prompted all of the doesn't want to fight headlines being being uh, screen grabbed at the time. But it's, I just, I just. I just don't get it. I just don't get it. I mean, okay. If say that he doesn't, don't say that he doesn't want to fight. 
But the reason why he then came out and said that was because he told the truth and said, yeah, the, you know, you know, we're probably going to do this fight. You're better off as a promoter, flat out denying everything until you've got the ink dry on the contract and then going, bang, here we go, we've got this. Because otherwise you're opening up a whole can of worms for yourself and then you, you're, 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 trying to, you're trying to deal with a, uh, an evolving situation where you might be negotiating with things. You know, you might be negotiating with fighters and all the rest of it. The minute the news gets out, your job gets 20 times harder because the fighters have, you know, they can then start to play games with you a little bit if they're smart. Um, so I understand why you would lie in that circumstance. Don't say that people don't want to fight, though, when they all obviously all do. That I don't, you know, that, that I don't agree with. But as for the whole Connor business, I don't know what sparked this. I don't know. I don't know what prompted him to do this. Maybe there was a conversation that that happened that has pissed him off and he's decided right I've had enough of this I'm putting this out there um because it was only like a week ago Dana said I'm working on something with Connor right now it's going to be it's going to be fun um I think fun was the word he used and the next thing we hear that that linked Dana and Connor together was when Connor come out and released all these these private messages so I'm guessing whatever it was they were planning hasn't come to fruition so who the hell knows? I mean, I just want to see Connor competing. Um, I'm not a massive fan of watching him box. I'd rather, I would much rather see him in a cage competing in MMA. But if he isn't fighting in MMA, yeah, the second best thing is watching him in a boxing ring, I guess. But what I would say, um, without giving out numbers and, and anything like that, the two stories that came out of that were him having a go at Dana over the the fight booking and then him talking about fighting Manny Pacquiao. And obviously those two stories came out without very, you know, within like an hour or two of each other. And the Pacquiao story was tiny in comparison. Like all the traffic was about him and wanting to fight Diego Sanchez in the UFC. That was the story on, on MMA junkie that everyone was going to. So yeah, McGregor Pacquiao, might be interesting if it happens, but make no mistake, the MMA audience, based on my experience and based on what I've seen of how the content has performed, people want to see Conor McGregor in the octagon. That's, that's you know, boxing is, is boxing and all the rest of it. Fans want to see Conor in the cage. And that, that, for me, having had the benefit of seeing how things performed, that was my big takeaway from it. That was my big takeaway. Everything else is just, it's all smoke, mirrors, negotiation, all the rest of it. Make no mistake, if Dana can give Connor the fight he wants and it works for the UFC, they'll be best buddies again very quickly because everyone gets what they want. But um, yeah, the trust has certainly eroded and I don't know what's going to happen next. But I think I think we'll see Connor back in the cage. I, I find it hard to believe that he's genuinely retired, no matter how many times Dana tells us. So um, who knows? We might just have to wait a bit longer. Yeah, if you look at his social media, he kind of has gone back to a bit of an old school Conor McGregor look. Like he shaved the beard off, he's gone bald, kind of looks like Cage Warriors Conor. So I don't know if that's kind of rel relative to his mindset. Um, and it would have been interesting to see if Diego Sanchez had won this past weekend, what he would have said in his post-fight interview to perhaps uh, keep that Conor McGregor potential fight down the road uh, lit and available. But he didn't win. Um, so if there was any chance of that happening, maybe that's... Uh, eroded further who knows in this crazy sport but yeah 
we want to see Conor McGregor fight in MMA. And we want to see him fight big names. And we want to see him fight the best in his weight class. You know, he's still one of the best in the world. He's in his prime. It was so great to see him come back. And we all kind of knew the Cowboy Cerrone was kind of like a warm-up fight for him. Right? And when he was talking about this 2020 season, we all kind of thought it would go along the lines of a warm-up fight, a top contender fight, and then if he won those two, fight for the title again. That's what everybody was kind of expecting. COVID happens, changes the world, and all the rest of it, and it's just up in the air now. The thing about the Pacquiao fight, again, from a, a combat sports point of view, doesn't really interest me. I don't think it interests a lot of people because we know Connor's a really, really excellent MMA fighter. He's not a world-class boxer like a Floyd or a Manny. And you can nitpick and kind of show a particular image or a two or three second bit of footage from a fight that he had with Floyd to kind of showcase, well, look, he got him here, he got him, got him there. But you're not going to convince me, and I don't think you're going to be convincing a lot of people that you're you know, going to go up against one of the greatest boxers of all time and be competitive, you know? Um, now, the thing about Pacquiao is he's represented by the same firm and the management group that Connor is. And Connor has a stake in paradigm sports management. It's why he, um, you know, put out social media out in support of Israel Adesanya prior to the, the, the event on Saturday, because Israel Adesanya is also signed to paradigm sports management, right? So from a financial point of view, I totally understand where Connor's coming from. It's a, it's a big fight. Maybe they can sell it to a market like Saudi Arabia or the UAE or somewhere in that part of the world where they can make millions just on having the opportunity to host the fight. Then is obviously his uh, his pay, his show uh, and win money. I don't know how that works in boxing. But, you know, whatever he would get paid to actually compete in that fight and then his purse. And then obviously if they represent Manny Pacquiao, which is what I believe is the situation, then he's getting a slice of that pie as well. And even if that does a fraction of what Conor McGregor and Floyd Mayweather did a few years back, we're talking a lot of money here. A lot more money than a Diego Sanchez fight in the UFC, where it's just going to be you taking your Conor McGregor percentage of the pay-per-view and your show and win. That's it. right? And, and perhaps some sponsorship revenue coming in from that fight taking place and all the rest of it. So I get it from a financial standpoint, but I feel like a lot of people are just salty on the whole situation. They're, you know, they're, I think a lot of people are a bit down on Dana. It's not been a great month for Dana White, to be honest with you. He uh, put Dustin Poirier down, like you mentioned. He's, he's kind of said fighter Rex doesn't want to fight. You can't tell me Dustin Poirier, who has fought the murderer's row of murderer's row, at both 45 and 55, doesn't want to fight Tony Ferguson. Are you kidding me, man? Come on. You're having a laugh. And then on top of that, now Connor's out with him with these statements on social media and DMs and all the rest of it. So not a great month uh, for... And I've noticed it in the comments section. People are a little bit down on Dana. At the same time, they're down on Connor as well because they want to see him fight, but they want to see him fight the best. So it's not. this is not a great situation for either guy, if I'm being honest. Um, and like I said, I just hope they can patch things behind the scenes, figure this all out. We know COVID is a really tricky situation and everybody's trying to maximize revenue and all the rest of it. But at the same time, do you just wait? It's, it's bizarre to me that we're talking about, you know, percentages of potential revenue with gate 
and all the rest of it when you've got somebody in his prime ready to go healthy and fit right now like figure it out guys yes you're not going to make the same kind of money you're going to make uh, or you would have made a year ago because of covid but everyone's dealing with that situation everyone's having to compromise just deliver to the fan base deliver to your audience but more importantly keep one of the best fighters in the world busy and active in while he's still in his prime because if you wait too long and you chuck him in there with a gate or a Khabib six or nine months from now, or whatever the case may be, if that's what ends up happening, it's not going to be good. You can't be out for a couple of years, fight Cowboy, stay out for another year, and then fight Khabib or Justin Gaethje. It's just, you know, I don't, I don't believe that's going to be Conor McGregor fighting at his absolute peak, at his absolute best, and giving himself a fair chance to himself to fight and vi- uh, to to fight and vie for a world championship. So, very unfortunate. Like I said. Don't like to see this kind of stuff, but it was a massive, massive story. And I'm not surprised this, from a traffic point of view, was a bigger story than a potential fight with Diego Sanchez or even a potential fight with Manny Pacquiao. I think in our world, in the world of hardcore, endemic, mixed martial arts, this is a huge story and it's developing. There could be something that happens today, tomorrow. I'm sure this weekend uh, or as the week plays out, whenever Dana White has media availability, he's going to be asked some more follow-up questions about this. So this is definitely a story to monitor, and I suspect we're going to be talking about this for the next couple of weeks, at least. I suspect so. I suspect so. I mean, from a personal point of view, um, you know, Connor has Connor has been in the headlines off and on in recent months, and it's not all been particularly positive for him. He's he's found himself found himself uh, in a little bit of trouble here and there. I just want to, and I said this, I said this at the time. I just want to see him in fight camp again. I want to see him booked. I want to see him booked to fight, and I want to see him in fight mode because I think it's good for him. It's obviously good for the UFC, and it's great. It's great for the fans, and it's good for the media. I mean, it's one of those things where this guy is a superstar, and he's not everybody's cup of tea. And he's clearly, he's clearly got some extracurricular bits and pieces that he needs to deal with. But he's at his best when he's active, when he's competing, and he's on a run of events. I mean, you think when he was in his absolute peak, and he, he was bouncing from fight to fight to fight, you know? You think about when he, he worked his way up to UFC 189, and then it was straight on to UFC 194. Then it was straight on to, it was going to be UFC 200, and it got pushed back to UFC uh Oh, he's 196 then, wasn't it, against against Nate? And then UFC 202 for the rematch. And then 205 for the champ champ fight. That was a great run. He was fighting regularly. He was fighting consistently. And he was also putting on his best performances. And then after that, basically everything Conor McGregor post-Floyd Mayweather has been very different. Um, and uh, whether that's because he's now made enough money that he never has to do anything again. Um, and that's not a knock on the guy, you know, if you, if you get to, if I get to a stage where I've earned enough money, where I don't have to work an insane amount of hours a day, I won't work an insane amount of hours a day anymore. Cause I don't need to, I'll still keep my hand in and keep doing bits to keep me from going mad. But it's, you know, and I'm sure Connor is feeling like that. He's got everything. So, but I do think for, you know, a professional fighter, you need the taste of competition. You need to keep getting in there and doing it. Even the training, you know, the training has to have has to have a payoff. 
just going in and getting fit and sparring and all the rest of it without the without the payoff of the fight at the end of it i think it's a different thing so i'd love to see him back in there you know fighting i'd prefer that it was an mma fight rather than the manny pacquiao fight but if if the market's and the money dictates that that's what he does next, then that's what he does next. I just want to see him back in there competing again because he's, for all of the foibles and all of the negative headlines that he sometimes produces, Conor McGregor is a good thing for our sport, and and I want to see him back. And I hope that whatever issues he's dealing with away from the cage or whatever relationship issues he's dealing with with the UFC, all of that gets dealt with, and we just see him back in there in the not-too-distant future. Um but uh, yeah, as you say, big story, a big story. And uh, moving on from that is slightly tricky because the fight card this weekend, not the biggest, is it really? <laughs> uh, Holly Holm is in the main event against uh, Irene Aldana. That's an important fight in the in the women's bantamweight division. Aldana, I think, is considered probably the best up-and-coming contender who hasn't yet challenged for the title at, at 35. So um, if she gets past Holly then I think she'll get that title shot. So uh, that'll be interesting to see to see how she goes. You've got Jorgen de Castro, big, heavy-handed against Carlos Felipe. Um, Jermaine Durandamy versus Juliana Pena will be interesting. Uh, I wanted to mention Cameron Else, Sandu. Cameron Else, uh, British fighter, stepping in on short notice to face Kyla Phillips, who is a contender series graduate. He's 7-1, and one, and he's good, Kyla Phillips. He's very solid. Cameron Else uh, is 10-4. and four. Every single one of his wins has come in the first round. Every single one of them. Now, you look at the record of some of the guys he's been in there with, he's not been in there with uh, a host of uh, long, long-reigning, unbeaten fighters. It's a pretty mixed bag of opponents, but... He's gone in there and he's been taking people out left and right um, in the first round. Knockouts and submissions. So he's got himself a shot in the UFC. Um, and if he beats Kyler Phillips, I think that's a massive win for him because Phillips, I think, looks pretty good. Um, but um, it's, not, as I say, not not the hugest fight card this weekend, Sandu. Are you, are you, on, you on duty for this one this weekend? I am indeed. I'm on shift for BT Sport. And um, so we'll see how this kind of fight week plays out. Like you said, Simon, not uh, we're going to get that. We already know that fight night cards versus pay-per-views, there's going to be dis- some disparity with regards to the attention, the names, and all the rest of it. Uh, and again, I hate to kind of keep you know beating the head of a, of, a, of a dead horse here, but it's COVID times. It's COVID times, man. We're just lucky that we got these events. Um, and if you if you want to pick and choose, or if you're in a position to pick and choose, and you've got better things to do, then go for it. But you know, I'm always going to be tuning into a UFC fight night event, whether I'm on shift or not. One fight I did want to quickly mention, uh, or one fighter, is Carlos Condit. This is his first fight in almost almost two years. He's fighting Court McGee. I think this is good matchmaking from the UFC. Uh, to try and give Carlos a bit of a layup to get in the win column, because I tell you what, he needs a win, Simon. He has lost five in a row, and like I said, hasn't fought in almost two years. If he can't beat Court McGee, then I think he needs to have a serious conversation with himself that perhaps he just can't do it anymore. We already know that at this stage of his career, he's not fighting for world championships anytime soon. He's not going to be fighting the best in the world. Um, So if it's just a case of him... You know, getting that itch 
um, and making sure that once he's really kind of hung up his gloves, he can go out on a win or he's basically got whatever he wants to get out of the system out, then this is a good way of doing it. You know, fighting Court McGee, uh, who's a veteran as well, been around for a long, long time. So yeah, I'm curious to see how that one plays out. I'm curious to see what Carlos Condit looks like. At one point, you know, was an interim welterweight champion, uh, was involved in some of the biggest fights in the history of the sport. And um, yeah, he's I, I, I've always been a big fan of Carlos Condit. Just his fighting style. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, I can't even remember what numbered pay-per-view it was, but it was um, essentially the Bisping Akiyama fight card. 120. And it was 120, there you go. And it was him versus Dan Hardy. And it was like a, a Western shootout. Both of them cocked their fists and kind of went for a, a, a roundhouse haymaker. And Carlos Condit literally just was able to land with a bit more oomph than Dan Hardy, which ended in a knockout. Um, but that was a long time ago. So let's see what Carlos Condit, the natural born killer, looks like this weekend. Uh, but yeah, the top of the card, like you said, Holly Holm absolutely inconsistent uh, since losing her championship. She was on this big wave after beating Ronda Rousey, loses the title in the next outing. And then ever since then, it's just been a case of uh, not being able to get a, a consistent run of wins. And on the flip side, you've got Irene Aldana, who is in some form, and you'd like to think that a win over Holly Holm in a, in a five-round main event should, in theory, secure herself a title shot at Amanda Nunes. Uh, who we should also give a quick little mention and shout out to became a mother this past weekend alongside her partner Nina Ansaroff. Uh, so congratulations to those guys. Yeah, and you mentioned the uh, the Carlos Condit Dan Hardy fight. The, mem- the reason I remember it so vividly, it was the first ever UFC event I covered as a as a journalist in attendance. So UFC one twenty. That was in twenty ten. We are 10 years removed from that event virtually, almost in a month, almost in a month. Um, and uh, I remember the th- interview, Me- Media Day was in some hotel meeting room in Soho and i got Dan Hardy, Michael Bisbing and John Hathaway. They were the three guys and uh, Hathaway lost to uh, Mike Pyle. Hardy got beat by Carlos Condit. Um, and then Bisbing, everyone was hoping for Bisbing, and he managed to output. He got knocked down by Akiyama early in that fight, and he came back and won it. That was at the 0-2. Uh, but yeah, my first ever uh, on-site uh, assignment covering covering UFC. That was for the Daily Mirror way back, way back. So uh, yeah, fond fond memories of that. Um, speaking of uh, speaking of fond memories, we. I've spent many, many a fun evening covering Bellator in London, Sandu. We've, uh, we've Wembley Arena or the SSE uh, Arena, as it's as it's called, um, has hosted plenty of Bellator events over the years, and we've been we've been cage side covering events there. There, it's a different kind of vibe covering Bellator than it is covering the UFC, and it's, it, it is a lot of fun. Um, and uh, one of the names who we've covered a few times, Paul Semtex Daily is in action this week. Uh, Thursday night, October 1st, at the Allianz Cloud in Milan, Italy, which hosted Saturday night's event that we just had. Um, Bellator 247. It will air on CBS Sports Network uh, in the States. It's the first event of the new deal that they have with CBS Sports Network over there. 
It will be live on Sky Sports. The main card will be live from 9pm. Uh, four fight main card. And uh, there's plenty of British interest on this card. There's the, like the, the undercard, as they like to do, they absolutely pack it with uh, with with uh, with recognisable British names for these European cards. You've got Lee Chadwick, Walter Gahadza. You've got Lewis, Lewis the Footlong. I, I always hope that the Footlong wins by sub. Always, always hope that the Footlong wins by sub. Look out for him against Giovanni Melillo. Um, we've got uh, the main card, though. I just want to quickly mention the main card. Uh, Elias Boulade is the first fight of the night. Watch this man. He is a star waiting to happen in Bellator. His striking is insanely good. He's a 55er. Um, he's got he's got some fantastic striking. He's fighting an Italian in Italy, so that'll be fun. I've, uh, Ivan Nakari. Then you've got Kate Jackson from the UK who challenged for the uh, women's flyweight title last time out against Alima Leigh McFarlane. Couldn't quite get it done. She's got a really interesting fight against Denise Kilholtz, who was the Bellator kickboxing champion, um, but has transitioned to MMA and is looking really good. Uh, she's putting some really good performances. That's going to be a really interesting fight to watch. Co-main event, uh, Norbert Naveni Jr., who trains out of London Shoot Fighters. I think he's Hungarian. Um, and uh, I think his father was a, a wrestling, uh, amateur wrestling star in, in Hungary. He lives and trains in the UK at London Shoot Fighters, as I say. Um, he looks like he might be, he, he might he might become something of a, Something of a prospect. Um, he's got uh, Laid Zahuni in the in the co-main event, but the main event is what it's all about. Paul Daly against Derek Anderson from the states. Uh, Paul Daly, one of the most experienced fighters in in uh, on 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 the big stage when it comes to the UK and maybe even globally. He's had so many fights, and he's still got that knockout power. He's got the he's got the main event shine again this week. Thursday night fights live on Sky in the UK. Can't say fairer than that. Four fight card. All four of those fights should be good fun. Um, so well worth tuning into that. So we've got another pack week, Sandu, and it was another pack show again. Yes, I think that's officially our longest episode um, since we came back. And rightly so, because there was a lot to unpack, a lot to discuss. And this is when the sport is firing on all cylinders this is what you get you get a close to two hour episode of the brit pack so to quickly wrap things up again appreciate everyone's support uh, i can see the comments um just start to fill up a little bit more now i, I think a lot of, a lot of you are starting to get a bit more engaged with regards to what we're discussing on the show i'm getting some dms from people um asking me about this that and the other uh, so that's always nice if you want to support the show, the best way you can do it is go to our Substack, which is the Substack uh, dot the Brit the, the Britpack dot Substack dot com. Let me get that right. So that's the Britpack dot Substack dot com. You go there, drop your email in, and uh, subscribe. And from there, you can just cherry pick whichever platform you'd like to listen to the show on. Or alternatively, go to Spotify, go to your podcatcher, search the Britpack. We should pop up. Uh, and populate your search bar there and then finally for those of you that listen to us on apple podcasts if you can do us a solid give us a rate give us a review good bad or indifferent don't care as long as you're honest about it we look at those and want to improve the show and that really does help us on the uh, the apple uh, platform in terms of uh, being a searchable podcast within this sport 
so that we much appreciate and then finally if you want to follow either myself or simon on social media simon is at simon head on twitter at simon head sport on instagram i am at sandu mma on facebook instagram and twitter and we are at the brit pack mma on twitter as well it is the end of a very packed show thank you if you made it all the way through to the end if you had to do it in chunks i completely understand why it was a long show loads to talk about though and uh by my my estimations i think we've got about 25 fights to enjoy thursday night saturday night combined so uh there should be plenty there to uh to react to and get our teeth into on next week's show thank you everybody out there for listening And we will speak to you in a week's time.